0: I'm riding through the beautiful late afternoon sun in pretty much the most desolate moorland you can imagine. Think if the moon had hair. And there's nothing to see, as far as the eye can see, except gently rolling slopes of stroy grass and brown heather. I'm on the Isle of Lewis, cycling from Stornoway to possibly the most beautiful of all of the sites that we're going to visit the Stones of Callanish. It's on the west coast of Lewis, so on the very, very western fringe of Europe. Next stop is Canada, unless you take a right turn and hit St Kilda or Iceland. And this landscape, it wasn't always as bleak and unforgiving as it looks today. The land used to be covered with lush forest, as we'll hear later from our expert for today, Ian McCarty. He will help us decode this really rather weird sight. And I hope he'll tell us about a kind of celestial light show that happens just once in a generation. And along this road, I'm going to keep my eye out for the little stone circles that are apparently dotted along the route to guide ancient travellers to the stones of Callanish. <laughs> My name is Matthew McGee, and I was always fascinated by standing stones I came across, wondering who put them there, how come they're still there, and what on earth were they for? Monumentality is is very much a farmer thing. Someone put these here 5,000 years ago, and they're still here, and that's magical. So I persuaded some experts to meet me at Scotland's most beautiful, interesting, and remote Neolithic sites, and got on my bike to go and talk to them by saying, I can make the sun come back and the days get longer again. Let's just build this monument and I'll show you. And they showed me how much we can learn about the sophisticated, connected, artistic lives of the very first people to give up hunting and gathering and settle down as farmers. Can you describe what the culture was that this was a part of? No. (laughs) This is my journey and these are the stories I heard. Welcome to Stone Me, investigating Scotland's oldest places. In this programme, we'll try to decode a complex, enigmatic monument. We'll investigate the controversial idea of archaeoastronomy, and we'll hear about the oldest, oddest road signs you ever heard of. I've arrived at Calenish Stone Circle and It is just breathtakingly beautiful. These grey, almost greeny-tinged, flat, tall, lichen-covered stones in just the most beautiful formation. I don't know what it is about it. It just takes your breath away. It's maybe 15-odd metres across. We've got a, a stone circle with one... Very tall, maybe one, two, maybe five meter tall stone in the middle, and then a, a tomb that was added much later. I um, think these avenues, almost coming an avenue to the north, an avenue to the south, and then just stones stretching to the east and to the west away from it. So it's it's a cross, but it's a circle. It's a monument, but it's a tomb. Uh, And it's sitting on this raised bit of ground, looking out at the water to the west, there's water to the east, there's the the moorlands to the north and to the south. On the horizon you can just see these enormous, majestic mountains of of Harris to the south, uh, including one which Ian will tell us about later, one that's shaped like a, a woman lying down and could be, could be a crucial part of, uh, of what this site is doing here at all. It's still extremely windy. It's gone quite gray. It's bleak and it's beautiful.
1: Well, my name's Ian McCarty. Um, I'm an archeologist. I've been living and working here in Lewis for 24 years. I've had a lifelong fascination with Kalanish since I was a kid, since before I moved here, since before I was an archaeologist. <laughs> and all of that time I've had a little sort of side project of, you know, I've always been investigating Kalanish, you know. We're we're here on a ridge, there's actually, there's a small hillock and uh tail of a ridge going off to the north so it's like a crag and tail and this crag and tail is situated uh, within this low lying ground all around it and then further out the ground rises up again so there's a high horizon of 360 degrees around us and we're situated in the middle of a, like the middle of like a big bowl
0: We head down into the circle and the wind so Ian can give a quick rundown of the features crammed into the site.
1: On almost uh, respecting the shape of the ridge, we've got an avenue of two two rows of stones uh, leading to a circle of stones with one very large stone in the centre. And then we've got rows of stones going off to the east, west and south. So there's an avenue of two rows coming in from the north and then single rows to the east, west and south. So this, this circle is, is made up of 13 stones. Um, it's not quite a precise circle. It's got a flattened east side. So it's not a perfect circle, which is a little bit odd. Um, then aside from that, we've got one stone which is out with that pattern of the rose and the circle and the central stone and that's just behind you there. Now if you notice that, lots of people don't notice it, it's, it doesn't fit into the pattern. That's a bit now, weird. some people think that it could be the start yeah, of a, that maybe there was an avenue to the south as well but there's no other evidence of any other stones. So it's just, it just seems to sit outside of the other pattern. So that's relevant.
0: And, and nobody knows why?
1: Well there's a, there's a good idea why. Because from that stone through that stone is a direct line to the midsummer sunrise and then of course we've got the tomb in the middle there's a chambered tomb in the middle of the circle butting up against the central stone now we know that from excavation we know that that is quite a lot later than all the rest so you kind of have to see it as a separate thing it's almost like someone wanting to memorialise themselves by putting themselves, burying themselves somewhere important. <laughs> but it's, it's not necessarily part of the same design as the rest of it.
0: Ian took the time to explain the compass alignments with great care. The east row is slightly north of exactly east-west, and the west row is, Ian says, a bit all over the place. The south row and central stone are perfectly north-south, and the north row is a bit off-kilter. Why such care and attention? Because we're touching now on one of the most hotly contested issues in the world of stone monuments. Were they primarily instruments for stargazing? Are they precisely aligned up with celestial events? You're probably aware that Midsummer and Midwinter sunrise and sunsets line up in special ways at lots of Neolithic sites like May's Howe in Orkney, Newgrange in Ireland, and Stonehenge in England. So there's no doubt that alignments were part of the story. But some people go further, calculating lots of alignments and plotting them onto sites. They follow the work of people like engineer Alexander Tom, archaeologist Ewan Mackey and astronomer Archie Roy and actually refer to stone circles as observatories, claiming that tracking celestial bodies was the primary purpose of stone circles and that sophisticated maths and astronomy were at work 5,000 years ago. Archaeologists tend to raise the question of precision. Many of the perceived alignments just aren't that accurate. And they question the view that says that these incredibly labour-intensive, resource-heavy, monumental constructions had just a single purpose. Broadly speaking, the people who say that observing the skies was part of, but not the sole reason for stone circles, tend to work as archaeologists at universities or museums the people who claim that precise archaeoastronomy is a guiding force behind Neolithic monument building are less likely to be full-time professional archaeologists, introducing a bit of a mainstream archaeology versus the outsiders element to the debate. For now though, you just need to know that Kalanish is one of the sites archaeoastronomers have concentrated on most intensely, finding all sorts of alignments with the Sun, Moon, Venus and other celestial objects. So, so what broadly are the alignments here? Well, yeah, it's it's difficult to pin down.
1: The, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing that's that precise. Well, other than there's the summer sunrise, solstice sunrise, that is the stone that's out of place from the pattern, and one of the stones of the central circle. Then the. The east row is slightly north of east, and some people have suggested that could be the harvest moon, so just after the autumn equinox, um, there's a, a full moon, the harvest moon, and that would that's just slightly north of east-west, so okay. that's a possible. But again, you know they're not; it's not that precise. It's difficult to say for sure that was what it was for. Um, then the west row is again; it's not; it's kind of um, a bit a bit wonky but if you go to the end of the west row and look east it does actually frame an, a perfectly east-west direction so that's a possibility then the south row which is precisely north-south and the central stone which is north-south which isn't a cardinal direction of the sun but it's very interesting and important then the north the north avenue is strange again because it's, it's not quite it's not straight for a start and it's not quite north-south so there's obviously other things going on, you know. There's other concerns in in the to the architects or the builders of this monument that we don't quite understand.
0: Now we're we're going to hear in other programmes about the archaeoastronomists, the people who who talk about sites like this being observatories and precisely astronomically lined, and and their their claim is has long been that this was their primary purpose, it's why they were by, built, it was what they were used for and actually Callanish is one of their big kind of reference texts, it's one of the the big arguments they make for this right. what do you think about that theory?
1: Uh, aye, well I, I just think that there's not quite the level of precision in what we see to, to support that I mean it's definitely possible and what could be happening is a sort of gradual working out of of precision directions, but I don't... Aside from the precise north-south alignment of the South Row, there's nothing that would say to me observatory, but there's lots that would say to me symbolic directions, and like directions that meant something to them, as in the time of the year. Um, So, you know, less precise than astronomical observatory, more calendrical timekeeper. So, you know, the, the solstice of the sun and what you could call the lunastice of the moon are become, have become become what's really important, you know?
0: And and that harvest moon, like the the big event in the sky at the time of year when you have plenty, yeah. is going to be more important than east? Aye,
1: yes, quite possibly. But then don't forget that the um, central circle has got a sla- slightly flattened east side. So that does show you that they knew what east was. And the East was important for something. We just just don't quite know what.
0: <laughs> I think that'll be the alternative title for this whole series. We, we just don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to be honest. <laughs> so Ian isn't in the archaeoastronomer camp, though like most people, he absolutely accepts that lining up with the sun, moon and stars was some part of what has determined the form of stone circles. So if Callanish wasn't an observatory, what was it?
1: I've I would probably like to class it as a work a public work of art and like a work of art it's you know it's many le- it works on many levels there's lots of different aspects to it there's lots of things going on so that frees you from saying you know it was this or it was that because there was lots of there was lots of ways to see it and lots of ways to use it but it was definitely a, a place a gathering place Um i mean just the sheer amount of work that's gone into it has proves that there was lots of people came here to do something to do that but it's not just a gathering place it's a work of art but and it's not just in within that work of art i think you can you can definitely there's enough evidence to see certain things like there's a concern for the directions of the of the campus but it might not be the campus it might be the directions of the sun and the moon the calendar i think there's a concern with Calendrical functions are making time, observing time. Yeah, um, and that as well is it's not necessarily precise like astronomy and like an astronomical observation, you know, observatory, as some people say, because there isn't quite that level of detail of precision. But I think so. Think more what we're looking at here is a calendar or a sort of timekeeping function, rather than observatory. Although, obviously, those two things are
0: totally linked. As I discovered on my cycle to and through Lewis, it's an austere, pitiless place, windswept and barren. But Ian says that wasn't the case 5,000 years ago.
1: Aye, we know um, from archaeological excavations that the climate was a lot warmer and drier in the Neolithic. Quite a lot warmer and drier. Um, So that means the, the blanket bog that covers Lewis now the interior of Lewis wasn't present. It was more like scrub and forest. It would have been a lot livelier, really. uh, Probably wildlife-wise. The sea level was a lot lower. So this um, estuary here that you see that snakes around the ridge would have been more like a big river, um, teeming with salmon, probably. Um, uh, Yeah, and just warmer and drier. Yeah, you, you so
0: would, you would have still had sea access, though, would you?
1: Aye, yeah. Well, it would have been a big, a, quite a significant big river, um, but the sea level, we think, was about four metres lower. Right. So it would have been out of sight, but you would have still had access from the
0: sea. I mean, presumably, people travelled here, did they?
1: Aye. Well, that's it. It's becoming more and more clear um, that the Neolithic was actually a time when people traveled quite a lot um much more than we'd assumed so we know now that for example um, there's a kind of pottery grooved ware that's uh, synonymous was invented in Orkney um that we find here um there's the the style of tomb that's obviously a bit later but that is hark's back to an ancient style of tomb from Orkney um there's we we know that Orkney, uh, between Orkney and the Boyne Valley in Ireland, there was a lot of movement and connection. And um, for example, like Maze Howe and New Grange are both um, designed so that the sun shines through the, the passage into the central chamber at solstice. So it's, it's very clear, it's becoming more and more clear, that there was a lot of to and fro in, especially between places like the Boyne Valley and Orkney. And we're right on that road. Um, yeah. We're right on that. So, and we know there's things like um, a stone axe of, uh, of porcelainite from Antrim found here and there's a uh, stone axe from with Louisiana Nice in Orkney. So we, de- we know that people were moving between Orkney and the Boyne and this is on the route. The only way to travel would have been by sea uh, and it probably would have been skin boats, a bit like a cutter, just stretched skin boat
0: what might people have been undertaking these arduous, dangerous journeys for? What did they come here to see? Well, there was the gathering that we think took place at all these kinds of sites, and the rituals and ceremonies that we know happened because fragments of pottery used in them remain. Of course, we'll never know, but this is one occasion when the heavens might actually give us an answer. Callanish is now, as it would have been then, in exactly the right place to see a celestial light show that's all the more special, awe-inspiring and important because it only takes place once every 18.6 years. Why? Well, the stars are mostly kind of fixed in the sky, appearing to move above us in a circular motion because the Earth is tilted and rotating on its axis. The Sun and the Moon appear to move around a lot more, So rise and set in different places according to the time of year for the sun or the time in the 28 day lunar month in the case of the moon. You know this, the moon doesn't always appear in the same part of the sky at the same time each night. The extent of the moon's moving, or in techie talk the amplitude of the oscillation, changes on an 18.6 year cycle. That means that it has a point in that cycle when its most extreme north and south positions in a month are closest together and a point 9.3 years later, where those extremes are furthest apart. These are called the lunar standstills. It's the furthest apart one that we're interested in, and that's called the major lunar standstill. This means that at one point in the two-week cycle, the moon will be really high in the sky, and two weeks later, it will be really low on the horizon. Exactly where it is will depend on where you are, of course. People in the north of Scotland will see it differently to people in France or Spain. Now why do we care about all this? Because at the very specific latitude of the Stones of Callanish, at that very specific 18 year interval, something incredible happens because the major standstill is so extreme that the rising moon only just about breaks the line of the horizon, creating a breathtaking effect.
1: When the moon is on its southern standstill, the southern extreme, the furthest south it ever rises, what happens is that the moon rises and skims the horizon from from Kalanish. So if you're further north it would be below the horizon, if you're further south it would be above the horizon. At Kalanish, at that southern standstill, it's on the horizon.
0: And now, and that means it's really big, big because yeah, it magnified, it's magnificent. It's
1: called it? the moon illusion and everyone will know it because when you see a full moon close to the horizon it looks enormous. But when it gets into into the sky it looks the same size again. Now, so that, Kalanis is the exact spot where, the, you know, you can see this on the horizon and it happens for the whole duration of the standstill. But that's not all, because also what happens from the location of Kalanis is when it rises, it rises from a range of mountains that look like a woman lying on her back. If you look to the southeast from here, you can see a range of mountains that look like a woman lying on her back. Um and it really does look like a, a woman lying on her back. It, is it looks today. It looks like that. It would have looked like that then too. And actually, if you go up close to it, it looks even better. But it's it's quite uh, quite something. From Kalanish, this full moon on the southern standstill of the moon, the moon rises from this woman, this mountain that looks like a woman. So it's almost like the Earth gives birth to the moon, you know. And then, the the moon rolls across the horizon and. Um, at its zenith, when it's at due south it's basically right on top of the little hillock at the south end of Callanish. So amazingly, if you're at the north end of the avenue looking south somebody stood upon this little hillock can appear like a Vitruvian man, like a person within a circle, of within the circle of the moon like a silhouette within the moon um, which is amazing. So it all just seems it's too, it's too much it's like a theatrical set and um that's designed to sort of put humans in the middle of this cosmic story of the earth giving birth to the moon on the moon, the extremes of the moon i mean and if all of this is true it's really impressive it's amazing that they they figured all this out because the moon is really it's really difficult to watch it's slippery and it's changing all the time and
0: you know it's very complicated to figure out and and one cloudy night every 18.6 years Aye. i have to wait another 18.6 yeah. to do your calculations again yeah um yeah. so so you'd be standing down at the at the north end and you'd see this happen on the horizon with this huge moon and you'd be looking kind of through the stones at this Aye. happening exactly. it, it yeah. must be quite the sight have you seen it
1: yes yeah i have sorry the last time was 2006-7 it was four times it happened that I saw. um, But, yeah, I mean, I had quite high expectations and I was still pretty blown away. I mean, it was
0: impressive. And the good news for listeners is it next happens in... 2025. Right, so... Just around the corner. And it's not just the main monument that might be a part of this. There are lots of other smaller stone circles dotted around the landscape here, and they kind of divide into two groups. The ones closest to Kalanish line up in a way that supports the idea that this lunar standstill provides some kind of organising principle for the wider site.
1: Yeah, the, there's the three sites that are around here are all on similar crag and tail features and they all have a good view of the mountain that looks like a woman, which is called the Kayach de Monsach in Gaelic. But, um So the, all the central ones are on a crag and tail feature that could be aligned, that, that, you know, could easily be aligned on on that mountain, the kayak.
0: The other stone circles are of a different type altogether, more widely dispersed, of lower construction quality, and they might have had an intriguingly utilitarian purpose.
1: One of the latest ideas about uh, why there's so many other stone circles in this area is that they, they might actually be um, sort of leading you to the central monument from the East Coast, from which is where you would likely travel if you're in a boat, because the West Coast, even though the weather was better, it's still the Atlantic Ocean out there, so pretty gnarly if you're in a little skin boat. So the East Coast would be where you'd 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 travel, and there does seem to be a series of stone circles leading from around the Stornoway area to here.
0: you right, so there's sites between Stornoway and here, and and what are they yeah,
1: like? Yeah, Well, the there's a group close to here which is exactly like like this in the same sort of location, but there's other ones that are high up on the hills. And the idea is that they were almost like shoddily built or expediently built, or they were built in places to be seen, um, that wouldn't places that didn't necessarily have a good depth of soil or peat to, to place them in. So they've all fallen down now, but um, they were in places that were obvious uh, very visible places that you could see. So almost like shrines on a pilgrimage or signposts on a, on a, 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 a route. Neolithic road signs? Almost, right. I, I mean, that, that is an idea that's been put forward.
0: Ian may end up himself making a pretty substantial contribution to thinking about why Callanish is precisely here. And it's to do with the rocky outcrop that we are standing in the shadow of, sheltering from the wind. It all started with him waiting for a colleague who was late.
1: What it is is that there's a big pile of natural erratic rocks that we're standing at right now. Now, there's there's a sort of little cave, and you see there's a big crack in the back of the cave. Yeah. Um, now, I was standing here waiting to meet Margaret Curtis, who's the, who was the doyen of Calanis. She'd spent her whole life studying it. Um, one day at midday and she was late and it was a really sunny day and uh, I was stood on these rocks and I noticed this beam of sunlight on this grass in front of us a perfect beam of sunlight stretching out and I realised that like a sundial but in opposite instead of a shadow being cast there was a beam of sunlight getting thrown out across the grass here and it happens every day that there's a sunny day it was this beam of sunlight. Just right, right just, at midday? Just here. Just right at midday. Well, it's from about half 11 till it's like half 12. It's sort of before and after. It doesn't go all day. It's because that crack is, is obviously sort of pretty much north-south. So it only happens at around midday. But any sunny day, you, you've got this beam of light. Then I realised, well, in the summer, the sun's high. The beam of light is short. In the winter, the sun is low the beam of light stretches right out over here so if you had a stick in the ground you put a stick in the ground at midsummer solstice and you could put a stick in the ground at midwinter solstice over there in between those two sticks you've got the whole year so you could put 12 sticks you could put four sticks you know it's basically like a sundial a natural sundial and the other thing is that that north-south line, when it's midday and that sunbeam comes out, it lines up with the south row and the central s- stone, for instance. And the other thing is that we know from other monuments that it's very common that uh, any monument will start with a natural, a special natural place that people respect or revere. And then the monument kind of grows from it, you know? Mm. Gets added, the layers get added or em- embellished. So, it it's,
0: so it's bigger than we think. I mean, the, the, there's a there's a wall being built around
1: what oh, we think yeah. of the stones of calendar. should yeah, be outside right. of
0: that wall, and and it's an element that was probably part of the site, and maybe even yeah. a foundation. You know, one of the very first. This might, this might be why that's all there.
1: Exactly. That's, yeah, I think it's there's a good chance that that's
0: the case. So Ian's gone now and. And I'm just having a last look at the stones. I can't hang around for long because I'm now extremely cold, but I, I do have a different sense of the place now, having talked to Ian. And I think that sense is about how much it's part of the place that it's in and how much the place that it's in is a part of this monument. And it's just fascinating to look to the north and to see those mountains of Harris which are beautiful and dramatic but to think well might have been part of this site as well though, that, though they're maybe 20, 30 miles away they are part of Calanish I'd always thought of the setting as, as very beautiful and very striking uh, and now I think of it as, as part of the site itself I didn't think I could love Calanish anymore but having talked to Ian it looks like I could. I a to away now. It's suddenly got quite cold and I'll sleep well tonight. This is the furthest cycling journey of the series. I've been on the road for four days now out of Glasgow and tomorrow night I'll sleep in my own bed. Dreaming, no doubt, of magical moons dancing behind the stones across the skyline. And maybe trying to boot my accommodation for 2025 to see a lunar standstill with my own eyes. Join me next time as we explore the Neolithic wonderland that is Kilmartin Glen in Argyll, where we'll find out more about the spiritual life of the people who built these monuments. We'll climb inside a tomb and we'll get our first glimpse of Neolithic rock art. If you like what you've heard, please do consider subscribing to us wherever you get your podcasts, supporting more programme making by buying me a virtual coffee at ko-fi.com slash stone me podcast and reviewing it. It all really helps spread the word. Thanks for listening and see you next time on Stone Me, investigating Scotland's oldest places.